Well, welcome to all of you in-housers and onliners. Glad, glad you're here. Y'all, we, we must be prepared for the return of our King. The return of King Jesus is not a trivial matter. I mean, that's not something we want to play around with. I think we are so close to the second coming, I really think it's going to happen in our lifetime. If it doesn't, I think that that's the way that we're supposed to live. And these words that Jesus gave these seven churches are packed with relevance for the church in any era, in any time. And this letter specific to the church at Sardis has both impending warnings and rewarding promises. So let's just jump in. This is the first verse of Revelation 3. Jesus speaks and John is taking the dictation. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, no commendations at the beginning of this letter at all. Reader's Digest had a story about a cat that had been hit by a car, and it died. <laughs> and the cat belonged to four-year-old Billy. And before he found out about his cat's death, his mother quickly took care of the remains. And after a few days, Billy began asking about the cat. And finally, his mom thought that it was time, and so she, as gently as she could, got down on his level, eye to eye, took his hand, and said, Honey, your cat died, but it's all right, Billy, because he's up in heaven. And, of course, Billy was sad, but he had this quizzical look on his face, and after a moment, he said, Mom, why in the world would God want a dead cat? <laughs> the heart of God never ceases to amaze that he would want people that have turned their backs on him and rejected him and have literally made themselves dead to him, that he still wants them is such a different quality than what we normally see in our world. Jesus starts this letter by saying, the one who is talking to you holds the seven spirits you know, the seven is a real word of completion. In Isaiah chapter 11, it talks about the different functions of the Holy Spirit. It mentions the Spirit and then gives six different functions. I think what Jesus is saying is, I've got the fullness of the Holy Spirit in one hand. And then we already know what the seven stars are. He said it in the first chapter. Those are the seven churches. So it's as though Jesus is saying, listen, I'm the one who holds the Holy Spirit in entirety and all of the church in the other hand. And then he says... Sardis, your reputation may look good on the outside, but on the inside, there's no life. Sardis was an interesting city. At the time of this letter, it was about 600 years old, a city built on a mountain spur about 1,500 feet above its valley floor, regarded as virtually impenetrable from any military assault, and only two times in this 600-year existence up to the time of this writing of this letter was it overthrown only two times and both times the enemy 
had a few soldiers that were brave enough and able enough to traverse the cliff walls, and they got up to the gates, and the Sardis people were so confident that they would never face attack that they actually, the sentinels actually were asleep. And that's how the city was overthrown two different times. So you have Sardis characterized by a spirit of complacency. A once great city now living on its reputation from earlier days. So when John wrote down Jesus' words near the end of the first century, Sardis was rich and its residents lived the easy life and it was now little more than a wealthy monument on top of a hill. President Harry Truman used to enjoy telling a story about a man who hit his head at work and the blow was so severe that he was rendered unconscious for an extended period of time. And after a while, the family was convinced that their loved one had died, so they called the funeral home for him to be picked up from the hospital and taken and prepared. Early the next morning, the man woke up, sat straight up in his coffin. Confused, he blinked several times, looked around, trying to put the whole thing together, and he thought, okay, if I'm alive, why am I in this soft, satin-filled box? And if I'm dead, why do I need to go to the bathroom? <laughs> this man showed signs of death, but he was alive. The church at Sardis, just the opposite. It showed signs of life, but it was dead. Which brings up an interesting contrast between this word Jesus uses about reputation and what is, in fact, character. You see, what people say about us, that's reputation. But what God says about us, that's character. Human evaluation is what people think. Divine evaluation is what God knows. And notice that in Jesus' letter, he mentions that there was no opposition that the church in Sardis faced. And we've walked with Jesus long enough to realize that opposition is really the great moment for us to take steps in growth, right? When our faith encounters difficulties, we can turn to God for help. This makes our walk with him deepen. Whereas with the Sardis church, there's no mention of contending with false teachings like there was with Ephesus and Pergamum and Thyatira. There's no mention of attacks or persecutions from the Jews or from the Romans like there was with Smyrna and we'll find out next Sunday with Philadelphia. I don't think Satan saw them as a threat. Biblical scholar Frank Cox has a sobering quote. Look at this. As in animals, you may see muscular movements after life is gone. So Sardis was dead and all that could be seen were the ghastly twitchings of a corpse. As evidence of her lifeless state, no persecutions were leveled against this church. Why should Satan and his cohorts trouble themselves about a corpse. I mean, were they so inoffensive that nobody paid them any attention? Had they just totally sold out to their culture? Was there no price that the Sardis church needed to pay in their allegiance to Jesus in their community? 
Whatever it was, Jesus goes on. Look what he says. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. This is really important for us to get. Jesus was telling them that our deeds, our works, our efforts are not enough. They never will be. Never. They met together, but somehow the regeneration of a life being changed didn't happen. They were filling their heads with knowledge, evidently, but there was no lives being filled with God. You want to know what makes a dead church? I'll just give you the short answer. No evidence of the Holy Spirit. You tell me if this quote from 1983, 40 years ago, 40 years, man, I am an old man. This was the year I married my bride. You tell me if this quote from 1983 isn't just as true today as it was when it was written back then. Look, this is the age of pomp over pithiness, charisma over content, style over substance. This is a time when who we are has become less important than who people think we are. When euphemistic phrases can seemingly turn wrongs into rights. When politicians are often judged more on their charisma than their convictions. The world is selling beautifully packaged lies and many of us are reaching for our wallets. We've become so anesthetized by image that it's becoming more difficult to choose the real from the fake, the right from the wrong, the good from the bad. What used to be living in sin is now a meaningful relationship. What used to be chastity is now neurotic inhibitions. What used to be self-indulgence is now self-fulfillment. What used to be killing an unborn baby is now choice. Such pre-sweetened phrases represent the foundations of the image over substance philosophy. Don't change your ways. Don't change your heart. And above all, don't feel guilty. Instead, simply change the image of your action. Yeah, I had the same feeling when I read it. <laughs> Whoa. And from 2,000 years ago, Jesus' words reach all the way into our present-day sleeping world, and he says in verse 3, Remember. Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. Obey it. Some of the translations, keep it and repent. For if you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief, and you'll not know at what time I'll come to you. Maybe two of the best words for us to think about when we're trying to repent, we're trying to turn to God. The words remember and obey, or remember and keep at it, keep it, keep what you've received. Someone said the shortest road to repentance is remembrance. Repentance is when my desire to obey God is greater than my desire to sin against him, when my pain in sinning against him is greater than my pleasure of sinning. Go back and remember again when I was sinful and hopeless and remember again the rescue that God gave me at the cross and ask with David that God would again restore unto me the joy of his salvation. Remember, go back and remember People brought their grain 
to the grist mill, for the miller to grind to flour. And it was ground between those two large stones. The grinding stone was turned by the gears that were moved by the wheel that was turned by the flow of the water from the river. Well, one day, the miller arrived and he noticed the grinding stone was still. The water wheel had stopped and the river was nothing but a trickle. He knew it was futile to move that huge grinding stone by himself. It was too big. There's no way one guy could do it. No way. So he wanted to figure out what stopped the water wheel. Well, it was just the trickle. So what do you do? You go back upstream. You go back upstream to find the problem. The debris had fallen into the river and had blocked the flow of the river. You know, some of us, I think... Maybe we're at that place in life where we just need to go back upstream in our lives and ask, okay, where, where did the Holy Spirit stop flowing? What, what have I got? I, I don't know what, maybe unconfessed sin? Maybe, maybe you're still holding a, a grudge against God. You know, he, he did something that you wouldn't have done. The story that he's writing with you is not the story you wanted written. Or maybe he allowed something that still, I mean, it's painful. It's gotcha. What's blocking the spirit from flowing in your life? If you're really not sure, your heavenly father is a self-disclosing God. And all you have to do is ask the spirit. And you know what? <laughs> He'll tell you. You got to get quiet. Jesus does have something else to say in this letter. Look at verse 4. Yet, you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I'll never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. But will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I think this may be one of the best qualities, characteristics, or, or attributes that we have of our father. Death poses no problem for the author of life. But Jim, didn't Jesus just tell them that they were dead? Yeah, but you know what death is to God? Death cannot find a hold where faith in Jesus exists. While the church at large in Sardis was dead, there yet remained seeds of faith and life. Now, <clears throat> understand, these few in Sardis who had the unsoiled garments, who had clothes of white, they did not have those clothes of white because of anything they had done. We got to get this because you know what our tendency is? Well, I don't want to be like the dead ones in Sardis. I want to be like the live ones. Well, what did they do? They didn't do anything. 
but they put their confidence in someone who did. You guys, they were no different from the rest of the Sardis church except for this one thing. They walked with Jesus. Comes in the text. They were dressed by Jesus. It's in the text. They were worthy in Christ. It's in the text. They overcame in Jesus. It's in the text. Because of Jesus, their names were written in the book of life. It's in the text. Jesus acknowledged their names before the Father. Don't you fall into the trap by thinking that there was something that those Sardis people were doing that was different than the other ones who were dead that made them something special. There's nothing special about the church membership. It's where the church membership is looking. The difference, Jesus, is always and only the difference. There's only one answer to soiled clothes. In just a few chapters, in chapter 7, you've got to see this. Look at the screens. These in white robes, who are they? And where do they come from? These are they who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's the difference. I mean, I'm hearing the old hymn, Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's the difference. In his book, Grace Abounding, John Bunyan, he describes a day, he said, of inexplicable doubt and despair. But he says, I found release. I found release. And so he was passing through this field and he was troubled in conscience and he was fearing that all wasn't right. And he said, this sentence fell on his soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. Thy righteousness is in heaven. Now look at the screen. I'll pick up what he wrote. I thought I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There was my righteousness. Whatever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me that I lacked his righteousness for that was ever before him. Moreover, I saw that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor my bad frame that made it worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself. <laughs> That's why you can tell people you know where you're going when you die. But I, I tried to live a good life. I tried to attend church services. Backslid for a while. Tried to get back. It don't bother with that nonsense it's always has been and only will be Jesus God looks at us why should I let you in my heaven well because of the person that's sitting at your right side he took my place come on he's the difference maker between life and death sin's curse in death sin's curse is death but death has no power in Christ. In Christ, death and hell have no standing. So until he returns or if he calls us home, we will stand in Christ alone. Father, whatever it takes to drill this into my heart, soul, and mind, do it.
I pray it for this body. Remind us again and again of the importance of our utter dependence, reliance on you. And hear us as we sing to you in affirmation in this great, great hymn. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, church, let's stand. Let's sing this.